gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. That the wrath of God must be poured out upon sin. That God's righteousness has to be satisfied. But the gospel, scandal, and it wasn't you. It was the spotless, sinless lamb of God who died in your place. That's the gospel. When Jesus, the lamb of God, dies, sins are taken away and wrath is removed he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world scandal that it wasn't you it was the spotless sinless lamb of god who died in your place that's the gospel go to that cross blindly. He doesn't get on the cross and say, no, Father, I don't want to do this. I didn't know it would cost so much. He knew from eternity how much it would cost him, and yet he still did it. If his love is like that, if he has set me free completely, I'm his. He says, such is my love to and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their guarantee. Bring in all thy bills, Father, that I may see what they owe thee. Welcome to the Believing Theologist Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith, here to proclaim the gospel and spread sound doctrine to the furthest regions of Michigan. The great state of Michigan, that is, great up north. Well, you got to go like about the Cadillac to get up north, but you, it, if you're familiar with the state, you know what I'm saying. Welcome once again to yet another episode. I hope and pray that this will be edifying for you, and hopefully we can all learn something together. Today, I want to take a very quick very uh, maybe as detailed as I can look to answer a very specific question the heart what I'm trying to do here this podcast and that my friends is the gospel what is the gospel you hear this word thrown around all over the place nobody really knows sometimes what it means like gospel, yeah, I think I know what the gospel is. It's where I, uh, the thing that maybe. Now I'm being hyperbolic, a little hyperbolic here. But unfortunately, there's a lot of folks out there that that's kind of their response. They hear what it is, they hear about it, but they don't really seem to fully get what the gospel is. So hopefully, I'm gonna. I'm going to try to answer that question today. Now, if you have any questions, let me know. Leave it in the comments. Uh, message me on Facebook at Believing Theologist, and hopefully we can connect, have a fruitful conversation. If there's anything you think I left out, let's talk about it. If you think I'm nutso, uh, I think we can talk about it. Uh, 
We just gotta be cordial about it, you know. Anyway, so to on to today's topic. What is the gospel? It's a seemingly loaded word. Uh, the word itself simply means good news. It's found throughout our culture and churches with multiple references, slang, and definitions. There are many versions of this term which is in which a modifier is added. Social gospel, diver- diversity gospel, gospel-centered, full gospel, as opposed to an empty gospel, I suppose, and so on. All of these modify the definition of the original term, good news. To answer these questions, though, we must turn to the place in which the gospel became a mainstay in the public conscience. The Holy Scriptures, the Bible. If the word gospel is indeed defined simply as good news, what exactly is that good news? That, my friends, is the million-dollar question. If we are to understand the gospel as according to the scriptures, we must understand also the bad news according to the scriptures. And I say that because there's a lot of people, oh, I want the good news, I want this great, awesome thing, God loves me, I I want that good stuff. Which we all do, we all should want that. But we forget. We forget what the bad news is, what we were saved from, what the consequences of our sin really is. Because without these things, the gospel doesn't make much sense. Mercy and grace lose their meaning without a real wrath, without judgment. Mercy and grace don't mean anything. So that being said, let's go on to the Scripture, shall we? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, I'm going to read that again because I'm reading it funny. I'm going to... Try reading it with the punctuation this time. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Delivered as of first importance. First importance. Why would it be of first importance? Paul has spent the letter of 1 Corinthians correcting several things that were problems in that church. There were several interpersonal issues he had to deal with. Many in the church were engaged in sexual immorality. One was even sleeping with his father's wife. And pridefully using the gifts, and pridefully using the gifts of the spirit, Paul admonished them to flee from sexual immorality. He gave specific details regarding order inside the church. If you're going to read the letter as a Corinthian, as it was sent, when it was sent, you would read the scathing letter of rebuke. That is until the start of chapter 15. And just so you aware, the original text did not have chapter verse markings, because that would be really odd. That'd be really odd if you're reading a letter. Why did he put 
chapter? Why is it a chapter here? I don't understand. This thing's only like six pages long. It happens. Can you imagine what it'd be like if we, in our own letters, we write, we put chapter and verse markings and everything? It'd be really. Ah, never mind. I digress. Back to the topic at hand. Paul tells the Corinthians to hold fast to the gospel he preached to them. As this gospel they had received, stand and being have received, stand on and being saved by. After going through much of the issues that were previously addressed, Paul reminds them of the gospel, the good news. Paul delivered this gospel as first importance when he preached to Corinthians. One, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus in its most simplest form. Now we know the good news. What's the bad news? Why is this gospel so important? Why do we need to be saved? Excuse me. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.6 God is holy, 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 Isaiah 6.3 Because he is holy, his law stands. His law stands above all. God's justice stands. The Lord's standard is perfection. For a brief example, let's look at the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, for those of you who are professing believers, many of you who are professing believers, you're going to throw up your hands and say, wait a minute, but the law, we don't have to worry about the law, and Jesus uh, abolished the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want to go, I want to very um, briefly go over that. So hopefully we can, what's the word I'm looking for, come to at least an understanding. Because this, uh, the law is a very important aspect of this. Anyway, that being said, the law code in the Torah, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, and Numbers, has many facets to it. First, we need to remember to take the law as a whole, the whole thing. Then consider its parts, moral, civil, ceremonial. Uh, the moral law is moral the Ten Commandments, love God and love neighbor. Civil law. Law code for how the theocracy of Israel was expected to conduct themselves among the nations and within. These include, these include laws concerning social matters, judiciary proceedings, and civil disputes. Ceremonial. This portion of the law code has to do with the worship of God in the temple, tab, or temple tabernacle. Uh, I say both because uh, tabernacle was a tent before the physical temple was built by Solomon. God has some very strict expectations for how he is to be worshipped. At this point, many will say, but, like I started saying, but Christ has abolished the law. We're no longer under the law. It's all about the grace of God. Oh, this is true. This is very true. That is about God's grace. We need to remember that the great, that this grace makes no sense without the consequences of disobedience to God's law. Death and judgment are those consequences. Uh, to look at, we can go even go back to Genesis chapter two. We we see example of this. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree in the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis two, fifteen, seventeen. Here, even before the law code was given, we see the consequences of disobedience to God's law. God takes us very seriously, as we sh- as should we. Christ did not abolish the law, but fulfilled it. See Matthew five chapter seven, Matthew five seventeen. No, in fact, let's do this. I'm going to go here. Go Matthew five seventeen. Am I a little thingy over here? Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the the law until all is until all is accomplished. Therefore. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whomever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, my main focus was just verse 17, but I have a habit of reading full context out to give a little bit more of a uh, robust Thing. So, Jesus fu- came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Not one iota, not one dot is going to pass away until all is accomplished. Now, what does that exactly look like? That's a good question. You can study your, es- you can look at eschatology. Or for those who are not sure, that's a big word for end times. Whether you're a dispensa- dispensationalist, millennial, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, postmillennial, hello millennial. Sorry, attempt of humor. And we can try to figure out what all the all that's accomplished looks like. Some may argue is art uh, everything was now around seventy A.D. and may and things may continue more, but that's not the purpose of today's episode. I will continue. Uh, Jesus carried out the moral law on our behalf because mankind cannot meet the standard of it on our own. Our sin hinders us in this. The civil law shows how God's character is exhibited in ancient Israel. Followers of Christ do not need to obey the civil law directly, but the general equity of the law should be prayerfully considered by the Christian. Now, um, I am not arguing for theonomy. That is not my intention with that statement. I'm not arguing for theonomy. Anyway, that's an aside. He fulfilled the ceremonial law so that he could be offered as a propitiatory sacrifice unto God on our behalf. Oops, wrong thing there. That being said, the law was never intended by God as a way of salvation. As a guideline and expectation for his people to abide by because they were saved by him. A lot of people, a lot of you, some of you, I know sometimes me, will hear that, that the law is not intended as a way of salvation. 
but as a guideline expectation for his people to abide by. Now, this is a really interesting statement because there's a lot of people who think they have to do, 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 do in order to be saved. Some people think, well, if I'm not doing, uh, if I'm not reading my Bible 10 times a day and, and blowing my nose while singing I'm a little teapot and while standing on one foot, I'm not going to be saved. Who means any of those? That doesn't work that way. You cannot earn or obey your way into the favor of God. Your sin permeates everything about you. Everything. And even if you say, well, I don't sin. Well, I don't sin a lot anyway. I would say to you, even my, our righteousness, my righteousness on my own and your righteousness on your own, is as filthy rags to God. So on our best day, on our best day, on our best day, and what we can do is as filthy rags to God. Sin permeates the whole of our being that much. Now, when the Ten Commandments are, were first introduced in the Scripture, the following phrase precedes them. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 20, chapter, verse 2. In other words, I, the Lord, have saved you. Therefore, this is how I expect you to live. Salvation has always been by grace faith. As an example, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read through chapter 11 to illustrate this point. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of, th the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their com commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. By commending him, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, that he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous of the and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place that he was re to to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he, he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as a foreigner, as in a foreign land, 
living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs of him, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many, many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged, and having acknowledged that they are strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a, a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, by faith, Jacob, when Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to for than, than he was looking to for the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as sending him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do, this, do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Shephetheth of David, and Samuel the and and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the strong in the weakness in the weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sewn in two, they were killed with the sword. They, w they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now all that, by faith, salvation's always been by grace through faith, because all these people that we just talked about, we talked about Moses, excuse me, Samson was mentioned, Cain and Abel, uh, Cain and Abel, Isaac, Joseph, all of these men, and the women that were mentioned, all born sinners, every last one. Doesn't take long, go digging in the Old Testament. Joseph was a cocky little brat. Moses let his temper get the best of him. Samson liked the ladies a little like the ladies a little too much. Jephthah in Judges 11 made a really said something really stupid. And unfortunate and very very unfortunate consequences as a result of that stupid decision, that stupid statement that he made. And the list goes on and on. Abraham lied to people about Sarah being Sarah being his wife. These are sinful men. But because of God's grace, they were able to exhibit faith in in God, looking forward to the promise. That promise being Jesus Christ. Now, now that we have a lot of that out of the way. Let's get back to the Ten Commandments. This is a summary of God's standard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. At the first outset, this seems very easy to do. Who can't do this? I mean, it can't be that hard, can it? No, seriously. Think about it. Why? Why is, it, why is it so difficult? Love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor yourself. You could be a lot of people are like, man, I do that every day already, man. I, I'm, not, I'm in. Are you sure? You already do that? Excuse me again. Need a drink. Today's broadcast, well, not brought to you by anything. It's like me in my basement. Is God's law really that hard to follow? The Ten Commandments really that difficult? Well, when we consider what God's standard is, the answer is yes. It is very, it is difficult, near impossible. God's standard is perfection, sinlessness. Now, here's the question: Are you sinless? Are you without sin? Now, before you answer that, think long and hard about that question. Are you without sin? Are you a good person? You know, many of you, yeah, I'm a good person. What are you talking about? 
Well, let's look at the, let's look at the Ten Commandments. Just a very very short summary taken out of Exodus twenty. A short summary of what all the law and the prophets are based on. Quoting Jesus, you know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything you have. And uh, the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. So let's take a look at it. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, God, I mean, I don't really see how this could, well, maybe, well, I don't really have any other gods before you, before God. You don't? Let's think about this. Hmm. What have I put as a top priority over... Spending time with God in prayer. Hmm. Or when's the last time you took your took your family to church as opposed to the sports game? Just thoughts to throw your way. Commandment number two. You should not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth, in the in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am, je- am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, wow, God's pretty big on idolatry. But a lot of us say, well, wait a minute, we're not making little foam stone things for us to bow down and worship anymore. That's that. We don't, we don't, there's no, people aren't worshiping idols anymore. That's not a big deal. Nobody's making carved images to worship. Really? Or is it something that you're calling? Well, that's not worship. Or you worship, or you are worshiping something that you have set up before God in the form of an idol. So I could ask you, who's more important? Your favorite sports team? Or God? Which one gets priority? For you working stiffs out there, all those of us who work hours and hours and hours, trying to make that extra buck. Is that job a priority? Or is God our priority? Are we putting that job before God? If we are, we have set up an idol in our heart. <coughs> How many times do we exalt ourselves? Over God. We try to put ourselves in God's place. Think about that. Third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, that's interesting. So what does that mean? 
How many times have, uh, put it, uh, another simple, how many times have, have any of us used God's name? Excuse me. Whether it be God the Father, Jesus Christ, Son, or the Holy Spirit. We use these words, these names, uh, instead of a cuss word. No, that, as far as cussing or not, that's a whole other conversation, but that's, that's not the point of what I'm saying here. How many times have you said, said GD this or GD that? Instead of saying, darn it, you say, jeez. And you use Jesus' name instead. Hmm. Are you still a good person? On to number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. Your God. Apologies. God quit drinking Pepsi while recording a podcast. Now back to the Sabbath. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? Now, real quick, in a uh, New Covenant, New Testament perspective, the Sabbath day, as prescribed in the law, is not entirely something that modern believers technically need to obey as far as what specific day we have. There are several people who argue, oh, it has to be on Saturday or it has to be on Sunday or we should do it every other Tuesday at 6 p.m. Underneath, underneath the bridge. And they'll get really uptight, sometimes even legalistic about it. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. We should. Put aside a minimum of one day to rest and to worship God. Minimum. That being said, also remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Have you done that perfectly? Are you a good person? Number five. Now, this is the second half of the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, however you want to put it, or the ten things that God said to those people that will, at that one time that are very important. The first half, verse four, all directed toward God, worshiping God, and how he is to be treated and worshiped. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, second half, love your neighbor as yourself. Number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Have any of us done that? Seriously, 
Have any of us done that? Have you truly honored your mother and father? Now, if you notice, this commandment comes with a promise, that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, as far as what that promise means, as, as far as Israel is concerned, uh, a lot of that means, you know, how they dispersed, once they dispersed land and landowning rights, you know, to keep it within families, you know, uh, throughout the generations in the land of Israel. Honor your father and mother. Is this something you have done? Have you honored your parents? Are you really a good person? Next, you shall not murder. Are they like, oh, this is an easy one. I've never murdered anybody. Really? You haven't? Hmm. Things that make you say, huh. But, because remember, Jesus said, if you so much as hate your brother, you have murdered him in your heart. Have you ever spoken or felt with such vitriol towards somebody? That could that could be considered hatred. No, I'm not talking the politically correct politically correct mumbo jumbo that is in modern times. But have you ever felt that way about somebody? Bible says you're a murderer. You should not commit adultery. Oh, this is another easy one. I'm not in a relationship right now, and I'm not married, so I haven't committed adultery. Really? You haven't? Okay. Have you looked at somebody of the of the opposite sex, or even same sex, and thought things that should be private? Or thought things that were very inappropriate. According to Jesus, in the in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, "If you so much as look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her in your adultery with her." Very serious things. Are you clean? No, adultery. Don't doesn't just cover cheating on one spouse, but covers a slew of slew of sexual activities outside the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Whoops, no, I skipped one. You shall not steal. Have you stolen anything lately? Whether it been maybe just that. That one ink pen from work that day, that's you've stolen. You're a thief. Downloaded something you probably shouldn't have downloaded, so on. Nine, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You telling the truth about your neighbor or are you lying? Are you telling the truth about what you're doing, about what you're saying, or are you lying to them? Are you bearing false witness against your neighbor? Think about it. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant 
or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that it belongs to your neighbor. Don't do it. It is not good. So looking at this list, this is God's standard. Have you fallen short? Have you done all these things perfectly? 100%. At this point, the judgment's coming, but I'm a good person. No one is perfect. God is me. God's mean. He can't expect me to do these things and so on. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The point is that no one can obtain in their own power salvation from God because he is helpless to do so. Sin permeates every facet of our being. It was what we inherited from Adam, sin. Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all men sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressor, transgression of Adam, who is, not, who is a type of one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and, and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the gift but the gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because one man's trespass death death reigned through through that <coughs> excuse me. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through that the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's, disobe- the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of sin, we deserve death and judgment. However, there is life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So the question now becomes, now what? We've been rambling on for 40 minutes. Now what? We'll get to the point. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to turn from your sins. Turn to Christ in thought and deed. Trust in and place your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. He will justify you and lead you into a life of holiness. Now, if any of you listening have any questions or comments, look up Believing Theologist on Podbean. Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you'll stick around for a few episodes or more. Until next time, God bless.
This has been an episode of Believing Theologist, proclaiming the gospel and sound doctrine to the furthest reaches of the great state of Michigan. Go in peace, to love and serve the Lord.